Well, today I want to talk to you and share with you about one of the big concepts in the Bible, but not just a big theological concept, something that has absolute relevance and importance in your life and in mine. And it's this idea of the blessings and curses of God. And I know as Christians today, we talk a lot about blessings, don't we? And even for people who, you know, maybe don't think too much about what they're saying sometimes, we have this whole hashtag blessed, right? And so you you share something on social media, and it might be, oh, guys, have you seen my new haircut? Haircut, Hashtag blessed. Or, you know, I, I went to the store and... And they gave me a free, a free extra package of Oreos. Hashtag blessed. You know, and sometimes this word can be so overused that we don't stop and think about what it is that God is really offering us in his blessing. Now also, we live in a time and place where we don't really like to talk about the negative things too much. right? And especially in the church, sometimes we try to avoid the negative. We don't talk about the curses that the Bible describes. And, you know, it's interesting to me that when you look at the Bible, and you start at the very beginning, and if you have your Bible, just open up to the book of Genesis. We're going to be there for a little bit, the first few chapters. The Bible starts with a blessing and a curse. Actually, blessings and curses. And in Genesis chapter 1, you see God is there. He's creating the heavens and the earth. He's forming this, uh, this planet that we're on, and it says that in the beginning it was formless and void, but God provides shape to it, you know, so it's formless and he forms it, and then he fills it. It is void, it's empty, but he fills it, and he fills it with light and dark, with day and night, with the land and the sea and the sky, and then he fills those things with the sun and the moon and the stars with the fish and the birds, with the plants and the animals. And finally, he makes people. In verse 27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. So right there in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, God pronounces a blessing on his people. On all people, all creation, not just those who love him, not just believers, not, but it's, it's all that he has done. And look what he says. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Fruitfulness, increase, filling, subduing, ruling. These are the blessings that God gives. And this gives us a hint even to what the word blessing means. It means abundance. It means fruitfulness. Uh, This word has been used inappropriately in religious settings, but in a very real way it means fertility. It means prosperity. It means happiness and joy. It means peace and harmony. God is offering this blessing to the whole world. And what do we do? Well... We decide we don't want that. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, look, you can have all these trees, you can have all this fruit, you can have all the abundance of the ground, except don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's another tree, the tree of life, that he ultimately forbids them to eat after they eat from that knowledge, tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. 
He says, don't eat from that tree. Why? He says, look, trust me to lead you. You don't need to lead yourself. You don't need to be all wise and all knowing. What you really need is to trust like a child. Right? We see this later in the Gospels. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the sin, the sin of pride, the sin of wanting to be able to judge. So the serpent comes, says to Eve, did God say if you touch that fruit, you'd die? And she said, oh, you know, it, God says don't do it, but it sure looks good. Looks like it tastes good. And man, I'd really like to be like God and know the difference between good and evil for myself. And then she takes a bite. Adam, who apparently is uh, not a very um, assertive person, <laughs> is standing to the side saying nothing. She hands him the fruit. He eats it. And there, right in that moment, the blessings of God seem to be overturned. In fact, if you read in chapter 3, God sees what happened. He asks them in the garden, what have you done? Where are you? Why are you hiding? And he says, well, there's this serpent. This serpent tempted me and I ate. God turns to Adam, what do you have to say for yourself? He said, well, Lord, it's the woman that you gave me. And the Lord pronounces curses. Curses on the serpent. Curses on the woman, curses on the man, the man, curses on the ground. We see this introduction of the opposite of what God intended for his creation. He says, cursed to the serpent, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. You're going to be fighting one another. You're going to be at odds. And ultimately, he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In the Hebrew, those two words, crush and strike, are the same word. We translate them differently because we want to uh, indicate that the crushing of the head is a death blow. The striking of the heel is uh, what may look like a death blow, but ultimately in Christ it is not a death blow. Right? Christ is put to death, yet he lives again. To the woman, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, or I will increase your pain in childbearing. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. You will des your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So he curses the ground, and then, he, then for man, through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, dust you are, to dust you will return. So it's a pronouncement of conflict. It's a pronouncement of reduced fertility and abundance and um, prosperity. It's a pronouncement of conflict between not only the woman and the serpent or humanity and Satan or goodness and darkness, but it's also conflict between the man and the woman. And then finally, for all you gardeners out there, you can get mad at Adam every time you pull a weed because your work, your labor, which should have been good and enjoyable 
and fruitful is now hard and difficult and tiresome. And then finally, the pronouncement of death. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It seems like in this moment that there is a, a just straight up a death sentence for humanity and for the world, for creation. But it's interesting because after God does this, he once again tells them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So when you think about blessings and curses, you have to understand that when God speaks a blessing over something, it's not just God's wishful thinking. God is actually saying, this will be true for you. And when God speaks a curse over someone, he's saying, this will be true for you. And so from the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, these early days in the garden, we have these competing realities that are both God-ordained, both God-instituted, that have a hold and an impact on your life and on mine. And there's no way to get around them. Not around the good or the bad. Not fully, not yet. But in this curse, God institutes the rescue plan. Because he says to the woman, and I didn't read this part yet, but he says there will be enmity between you and the serpent, or the serpent and the woman, but he says, and between your offspring and hers, between your seed and hers, there will come a day when one of the sons of Eve will overcome not only the serpent, but the curse. And so in Jesus Christ, we have the initiation of this um, reversal, reversal of the curse. Remember when we, I remember I had just moved here when Boston Red Sox finally won a World Series, and there was that whole thing, reverse the curse, reverse the curse. I thought, how, how fitting is that? How fitting is that for what the gospel is all about? Because God pronounced blessing on creation, the curse comes, and Jesus comes to reverse the curse. But what we need to remember is that uh, the, the World Series isn't over yet. Right? We haven't played in the last game. So we're in the process. Jesus is in the process of reversing that curse. And so here we are. Here we stand still in the midst of these two realities Curses and blessings. And you know, what God does in the Old Testament is he actually expands on our understanding of these two realities. And it's most clearly focused in the nation of Israel. So for example, in um, Exodus 34, if you'd like, you can turn there. So in Exodus 34, God is has sent uh, uh, Moses down with the Ten Commandments. And he's talking about how if the people don't do what the Ten Commandments require of them, then they're going to be under the curse. But if they do what God requires of them, they'll be under his blessing. And so they have some agency here and what aspects of God's pronouncement will be dominant in their lives. And in Exodus 34... Uh, in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord came down in the clouds and stood there with him, Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, 
The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. And so we see again, even when God's saying, I'm, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding in love, but be careful. Because if you're in sin, then I'll punish you and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. So his love extends for a thousand generations, but his wrath, his judgment, his curse extends to three and four generations. And so we have this tension, this tension in the Scripture. In Deuteronomy, we won't turn there. In Deuteronomy 28, God says, he, he, gets, he gets the nation of Israel between these two mountains, and He says, you know, there's, there's obedience over here, and there's disobedience over here. And obedience leads to blessing, and here are the blessings. You'll be prosperous. Your land will be free of enemies. You will, you will plant vineyards, and you'll sit under their shade and drink their wine. But if you're disobedient, you have the curses over here. If you're disobedient, you will be, you'll be uh, uh, unfruitful in your labor. The ground will not produce for you the way you want it. You'll have enemies coming into your land. You'll plant a vineyard, but you'll never drink it's the fruit of the vine because your enemies will, will drink the fruit of your vine. And you'll be cast out of the land. And so again, there's this conflict. And if we're honest... And if we're alert, I think we experience the reality of this conflict all the time, don't we? If we're not careful, we only see the hard things in life, and we forget that the promises for good are there. But sometimes we only are willing to acknowledge the good, and we try to pretend that the bad's not there, the hard, difficult things aren't there. But they're both real. They're both biblical. They're both true. But what happens in the midst of all of this is that God continues to explain and expound and expand His promise. And so I would like for you to turn to me to Jeremiah 28. So Jeremiah, one of the prophets... Um, and so if you... Just after Isaiah, you get Jeremiah 28. Uh, That is not right. Hmm? Yeah, let me find where I'm at. I wrote down the wrong passage here, but that's okay. Um, this is always a fun moment. All right, I cannot, I, I don't know, I must have written it down wrong. But there is a, if someone finds it, I'm going to start uh, uh, telling you what it says. If someone looks it up for me and finds it, just call it out, so I'll let you all know where it is. But 
uh, Jeremiah is giving a prophecy of the Lord, and God says, he says, a time is coming where, where no longer uh, will people say, uh, the father ate bitter grapes, but it blunted the teeth of the children. What is he talking about there? You know, this, this idea of, of God cursing for three, four generations, there was, a, there was literally a proverb in Israel that said, you know, the parents will, will experience this bad thing, but it will carry on to the children. Where is it? 31. 31, 29. Thank you. Yeah. Perfect. In these days, the people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, and this is what this is, explains what the proverb means, instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. Which seems fair to us, right? It seems appropriate. If I do something wrong, then I should pay for it, not my children. But here's the thing. We're not fully, in, we're not fully into this yet. Not 100%. The day is coming. And it's, it comes and it begins to initiate with the, with the new covenant. Because and right after that, it says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. And this covenant I make with them, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So, church, this is coming. It has begun, but the fulfillment of it hasn't happened. We still teach one another, look, this is what the Lord is like. We still don't have the law written on our hearts to an extent that we follow it completely. We still do not all know the Lord. But this is what Jesus is enacting. And here's the thing. We still see we still see a reality where we sin and our children pay for it, don't we? And we've all experienced this, the paying the penalty of our parents' sin. And this isn't about parent bashing or anything like that. And it's not just parents and children. It's whole generations. Whole generations will, will reap the consequences of what, what we who are adults in this room are doing in the world today. And that plays out spiritually, it plays out politically, it plays out environmentally, it plays out uh, culturally, it plays out in media and in entertainment and in every area of our life. The choices that we make affect those who come after us. We, um, we've been watching the old HBO series on John Adams as part of our own U.S. history exploration in our, in our family. We're, the girls were doing U.S. history this year. And last night, we were watching an episode, and, and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson are in Paris because they were both serving there. And they're having this discussion about this new constitution that hasn't yet been drafted or ratified. And Thomas Jefferson says something interesting. He says, I'm not sure that we should be able, that our generation should be able to dictate for every generation to come what is right and wrong. Now, John Adams vehemently disagrees. And there's, there's some interesting things to, to tease out there if we had time or interest. But 
what, what they both understood, and they had different solutions for it, they both understood that whatever they did then would have implications for generations to come, and it sure has, right? And, and actually, we're the only country that's had one constitution for over, I think, over 250 years without any major changes. And so we have absolutely had our lives impacted by the choices that those men and others like them made in the 1780s. It's really astounding. But as people of the Lord, we understand what it's like to live by those who wrote before us, who came before us, who put down for us the truth in a full and complete form, in a way that it would shape our lives and it would govern us. Because ultimately, in this case, we know that it comes directly from the Lord. But here's the thing. God is saying, there's hope. The day is coming when this will never be the case any longer. And I would suggest to you that when we, that the, the curses of God are interesting. Um, and, that, and that every time God curses us, and he has, and he still does. By the way, Romans 1, the, ju- the wrath of God is being poured out against all mankind. The wrath of God is still being poured out. The, the curses haven't ended yet. But every time God puts a curse on humanity, he almost always gives some indication that he's inviting us to resist it. Isn't that fascinating? God says, this is what it's going to be for you. But hey, friend, don't just give in to it. Don't just, don't just resign yourself to it. So God curses the land and curses the womb of Eve. And then after that, he says, but go forth, multiply, increase, fill the earth. Right? He says uh, in, in Deuteronomy, he says, if you, if you disobey me, then you're going to be cast out of the land. But I will see you and I will have mercy on you, and I will bring you back to this place of peace, this, this, this promised land, and you will once again have peace from your enemies. And actually, national Israel is still waiting for the fulfillment, the total fulfillment of that promise. But God did bring the nation back into the promised land. And then in Jesus Christ, Jesus begins to totally change our perspective on blessing. You know, who are those who are blessed, according to Jesus? The meek, the poor, those who mourn. Now also, those who, those who pursue righteousness. Uh, but it's not just the ones we expect. It's not just the ones that have the outward signs. It's the ones whose hearts God is close to. Those are the ones who are blessed. And God says, do not resign yourself to the afflictions of my curse because God's heart ultimately is to overturn his own curse. You know, and as I was studying, and I've, I've kind of been studying and wrestling and uh, had this question percolating in my mind for many years is, is the relationship between our blessings and curses and God's blessings and curses. You know, sometimes in the Bible... Uh, a person blesses someone, and, and it's actually true that they are prosperous and abundant. You know, I think of 
uh, Isaac blessing Jacob instead of his older son uh, Esau and Jacob then becomes prosperous and wealthy and he becomes a, a person who, who ultimately brings David and Jesus uh, the, the fruit of his own um, legacy there. And uh, Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, gets very upset when Jacob uh, crosses his arms and blesses Joseph's younger son over his older son. You know, so these things have real impact. You guys remember Balaam and his donkey? Balaam went to curse Israel and God wouldn't let him because, what, because God couldn't overrule Balaam's curse? No, but there was some real what we would call efficacy in the cursing of Balaam. And, says God, and so God says, I'm not even going to let you speak the curse over Israel such that an angel comes before his donkey and, um, and the donkey turns to, to Balaam and says, hey, cut it out. We can't go any further. And, and Balaam starts to argue with his donkey and then the angel reveals himself and he says, if your donkey hadn't stopped, I would have cut you down. I'm not going to let you curse Israel. These things are powerful. These things are real. But then the, you know, kind of brings about this whole thing, though. Are we, how do we respond to the reality of these curses and the reality of these blessings? And I want to share just a couple of things. And then, actually, uh, I'm going to invite Sonia to come up and share a little bit, which I'm excited about, uh, before we bring it to a close. And it's this that everything that God has pronounced in his curses, there's work that we actively do to overcome them, and then God has subsequently blessed so many of those actions. So you think about this. Um, if we're not to try to overcome the curses in Genesis 3, then men and women should try to subdue one another and fight against one another, and, and we should be in conflict all the time, particularly husbands and wives, which I think is a big part of what that curse is about. So women, uh, you should be trying to overcome your husbands, and husbands, you should try to subdue your wives. Because if you're not doing that, then you're not in line with the word of the Lord. But of course, none of us think that way. We think, no, God's inviting us to overcome that curse. And you know what? Don't use weed killer in your garden or a farm. Don't try to produce more from your fields than you could uh, just doing what, what has always been done. No. God's inviting us, I believe, to try to produce more than we could produce uh, naturally. Oh, and forget about epidurals. Like You can't have one of those because... God's design is for women to have increased pain in childbearing. That he said it. So if you use an epidural, you are outside of faith and you're disobedient. And no, no, of course not. You know, and just go down the list. You know? God, there's, a, there's, an, there's an inherent invitation to overcome the curse. And so one of the things that has really struck me is that as we've been talking about um, maturity and as we've been talking about how we grow, one of the things that's come up in some of our small groups and with some of the individuals that we've spoken to is this idea of, you know, I, I looked at my own life and I saw these holes in my growth and 
I either went to a place of despair or I went to a place of anger at my family of origin or the communities that I've been in that have hurt me and wounded me and didn't help me grow or uh, just an idea of, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. Why, why even bother? And if you felt that way, I want you to understand that inherent in these, in these uh, pronouncements of God of difficulty and challenge and hardship, inherent in them is an invitation to step back into the blessing that he's promised. To step back into uh, the promises that preceded the pain. You know, we say that the word of God stands forever, right? The word of the Lord stands forever. That includes that blessing in Genesis chapter 1. And you say, well, but what about, don't the curses of the Lord stand forever? But again, God, there's an inherent invitation in the curses to, to step out of them. And when you look at, at for example, Deuteronomy, God says, well, which will you choose? Will you choose life or death? Choose life. He's inviting us to choose life. He's not inviting us to, to resign ourselves to the decay that we see in our life. He's inviting us to move from that decay into greater life. And it's actually built into the very fabric of, of life itself. You know what I'm talking about? When, um, when there's a forest fire and everything is destroyed and then out of the ashes come up these little shoots of green and in some way the forest becomes uh, more alive than it was after that death. And it's built into our mythology. It's built into our stories. Uh, I think of, now I, as soon as I was going to say it, the, the bird that comes back to life, the phoenix who comes to life out of the ashes. You know, it's built into our mythology. And it's, it's part of, of uh, in, our, in our deepest parts, God has kind of built this into how we understand the world. And of course, it's right there in the gospel. That Jesus is put to the death. He's put in the grave, but he rises again. And then Paul says that if our bodies don't die, then our seeds can't be planted into the ground to be raised up as new bodies. But it's not just a looking forward to heaven thing. God is inviting us to the here and now to have this new kind of life. And so I want to invite Sonia to come up and share. And, and some of this sermon today was really prompted by a conversation we were having. And I said, look, you've got to share this because, you know, I know not only is it on your heart, but just that God has given her uh, a great way of communicating it and really clearly and beautifully. He shared most of what, what I was going to share, but <laughs> still. <laughs> Um, so, um, about two weeks ago, I was in my prayer room, also known as the bathroom, and, and I was, uh, thinking, and I was listening to, to that song, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, the beautiful blessing, and it's in Numbers 6, 24, 26, and we, we were having a particularly difficult time, uh, in our family, um, and we were reckoning with our own sin and how we were passing it on, 
how we were by our sin hurting our own children. And that's, for me as a mom, that's, that's one of the hardest things. It's like to, when I see uh, what, we, what we pass on, and not necessarily that they're doing the same things that we do, but that how, how what we do uh, impacts our children. Um, Brandon Manning has written many wonderful books, uh, and one of his books shares this. It's like, you pass on what you don't transform. And that has stayed with me because it is true. And I've always had this tension with the truth that, that God uh, doesn't revisit uh, the sin of the, of, the, of the parents and their children. And also the fact that it's not all completely done. And we see how we are passing it on, as Stephen was sharing. And I, I was in that tension and, and asking God about it, and, and feeling um, sorrowful. And as the song was playing and I was singing it, I, I began to understand better that was something that, that God keeps reminding me, because we need the reminders again and again and again, that yes, it is true. Yes, it is true that I have passed on. Yes, it is true that Stephen has passed on. Yes, it is true that we still do things that are hurtful to our children, to, to, the, to the community, that we have created damage. It's good for me to know that. It's good for my heart to acknowledge it. It's good for my heart to say it loud and to name it, right? That is good. Now, that could lead to despair, right? Without Jesus, that's where it ends. It leads to despair. But with Jesus at the other side of it, there's great hope and there's great blessing because now you have brought on to the light what we might be tempted to keep in the dark because it's painful to see, right? And, you know, in my own story, uh, my, my mom... Uh, struggle with depression for, for most of my life, or maybe most of her life. And that definitely affected me in, in numerous ways. And even though I'm a child of God, even though God has healed me greatly, even though I have developed strategies, even though all of that is true, it has been a struggle for me as well. Not as it was for my mom, because I understand things differently, I have Jesus differently. But still a struggle. Now, my greatest desire is that that will never be passed on to any of my kids in any way. That I will never, excuse me, <coughs> that, that um, the effects of my being depressed will not affect them, and also that they will not uh, experience depression themselves. Now, is that possible still? Yes, that is possible. And, and that is something that I was, I was meditating about also uh, in regards to, to where Stephen is and, and, and how that reflects on our kids. And concretely it was, okay, that is true, but because we are, because we are acknowledging it and we're calling it out into the light and because, God is tr- because God's promises of blessing are true and because I'm just going to read this um, because it is true that these words have been pronounced over us, 
and people take them in. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, and that is true. So all of those, all of those um, places that are broken in me, that are broken in Stephen, all these things that we might pass on, all those places that, all those, all those, um, uh, all the ways in which we can, in some way, pass on. Well, over that, because we are in Christ, because we don't need to stay there, because there's hope to grow and to change and to be transformed and we know that, then we can rest in the promise that we're blessed and kept in him, that his face is is shining upon us, that he is being gracious to me and to us in our failures and in our brokenness. It's not all done. It's not over. And that he can give me peace. And therefore, you know, if you, if, you heard, if you have heard the song, which I'm sure you have, and we have sung it here, um, it goes on uh, to say how, um, what, how does it go there? May his favor be upon you. Yes. Um, upon generation and generation, his children and your children and their children, right? Um, so, yes. I have passed on some stuff. Stephen has passed on some stuff. Our girls will pass on some stuff. My parents passed on some stuff to me and their, and their parents to them and so on and so on and so on. Yes, it is true. And we can name it. And also, right, we're passing blessing upon their children and their children and their children and their children. We're doing that too. That's the hope. That's the hope. So we can live in this place where we are both courageously naming the things, courageously saying, yes, this is a place of brokenness in me. Yes, I have done this thing. And then look towards uh, the, the other side of it with great hope and great joy of all the goodness that is passed on too. Of, and, and. Maybe you feel like you're not passing on a whole lot of goodness yet. Well, here's the good thing. Here's the good thing. There's hope to pass on more. There is more. There's more. There's more. We don't, we don't need to stay static, right? We keep on growing. And, and, and the beauty, the beauty, the, 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 the glory of God's ways is that you, you give a little, and you enter into that place of surrender with him. You surrender these things. You, you call them out. And then God takes, okay, great. Now let's work with this. Now let's work with this. I'm going to bless you in those areas. Guys, I, I, will, I will say this. In, in the places where I have been broken the most, in the places where, where my sin has abounded most, those have been the places in which I have also seen God's great hand of blessing the most again and again and again. Because God delights in turning things around and showing the devil that he's the one in charge. Right? So, (laughs) 
in your own areas, the areas that you're so tempted to, 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 to cover up and to keep it hidden because it's dark, because it's painful, because it implies that, that you're acknowledging what also was done to you, what also happened to you. If, if any of you have uh, gone through the, the maturity stages, um, some of you probably know what I'm talking about, and if you don't know and you're curious, we'll share that with you again. Um, you may have found that it was a little brutal of a process, and that was the case for me. For me, it was brutal. Because what you're doing is going through uh, the different stages of your life, of a person's life, and, and seeing what, um, what the holes were, the things that didn't happen in your life that your parents and your community should have done for you to help you grow, I'm sure. Um, and also, you see what was done that was uh, damaging to you, and then how that created places of immaturity in you. So when you're doing this, uh, it takes courage, guys. You're seeing, oh yeah, oh yeah, look, as an infant, I I'm, I'm still a baby. That's where I am, I'm still a baby. That's where I am in maturity. And of course, I'm not fully fully like a baby. I have other areas in which I did grow more. But you're seeing that, and that can feel very hard and brutal. But guys, that, that's where it begins. It's when you, can, when, you can, when you can name the things, when you can see that, and, 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 and know that um, you, can, you can find compassion for those that came before you that didn't know either that also didn't know how to do it better. So, so there, there we go, then we were hurt, or things were not given that should have been given. And then what happened, we did it ourselves. And, and our children will do it also. And yet, we are blessed. His face shines upon us so that we can do it better from generation to generation to generation to pass on great blessing. Um, can I I'm gonna share one last okay. story? But you can feel, okay. you can come if you want. Um, uh, in, a, in a time of great uh, turbulence, internal turbulence in my life, but it was the right kind of turbulence. God was, a, God was doing a lot of really good stuff in, in my life, um, internally for me. And um, I had just had a deliverance, and I was like hearing God uh, more clearly than ever I had. I was, um, I was walking along, along the beaches. We were in Prince Edward Island at the time. And I was struggling with the reckoning. The reckoning of where I was in my maturity. The reckoning of where we were in our marriage. Um, and, I, and I was not surrendering. And I was having a battle with God. Like, God, are you really, really calling me to these things? This is really hard. I, I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I can. And um, <laughs> he literally stopped me in my tracks. I was just walking along, and you know, it's all very romantic, the waves and the rocks and the uh, red sand, and suddenly here, Sonia, do you wanna tell your grandchildren a story of victory, or do you wanna tell them stories of defeat? Do you want to tell them stories of overcoming and how you didn't give up 
Or do you want to tell them how you quit? Hmm. Well, if you put it that way, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't need to answer that one, right? That's the challenge. Do we want to tell our children, our grandchildren, maybe our great-grandchildren, stories of victory because we can? Or are we giving up? Or are we staying small? Are we staying in the same place? So we want to tell them stories of victory because we can, because in Jesus we get to. Amen. Thank you, hon. <laughs> that was wonderful. And you know, it's, it's not just your children. You know, I, I think a lot about uh, what stories will we tell um, the members of this church in 40 years of what God was doing in this time. What stories will we tell, um, you know, the, the children who, or even adults who come into the Lord 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? And some of us won't be here to tell those stories, but some of us will. And what I find so encouraging, and, and Sonia, I love how um, you just point out there's, a, there's an honesty that needs to happen with ourselves, and then there's a hoping and a pressing in and a work that needs to happen. So part of overcoming the curse, you know, part of overcoming the curse of Genesis 3 is getting your spade out and digging into the ground and rooting out the things in the dirt that don't belong there and, and pruning and weeding as things come up. You know, if you make soil fertile, then lots of bad things grow as well. You know, this is one of the challenges of life, isn't it? And so it's work and it's hard. But in addition to that, and this is where I want to end, is when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it is him constantly stepping into areas of cursing and turning them into blessing. So if, if, if you were a, a Jewish person 2,000 years ago and you saw what Jesus is doing, you would have thought, wait, Jesus just healed a blind man. There's something about blindness and the curses that God pronounced on Israel. Jesus is overturning that curse. Uh, you, see, you see Jesus uh, healing lepers. Wait, leprosy is one of the curses that God pronounced, and Jesus is healing leprosy. And then, of course, when Jesus raises someone from the dead, he's overcoming the ultimate curse of God, and he's turning that into a blessing. And Jesus hasn't stopped doing this work. Jesus hasn't stopped healing physical illnesses. Jesus hasn't stopped healing hearts. Oh, I love, I love about the leper that Jesus touches him. You know, this is someone who's been outcast. And you probably have heard this before. No, you can't touch a leper. So they've been isolated and alone. And Jesus touches them to heal them. He doesn't have to, but he does. So he's not just healing the body. He's healing the heart. This is what it means. This is what it means to be uh, a person who's living in the inauguration of the kingdom. Is that you're a person who is experiencing the reversal of the curses. Even when the curses are your fault. Sometimes we think about, well, you know, God is fighting back against Satan. Yes. But God, he's also fighting back against you. 
lot of the curses in the scripture are direct results of the disobedience of men and women. And Jesus comes in and he says, you know what? Who's here to judge you? Neither do I judge you, but go and sin no more. This is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So what we're called to, church, is to actually step into these promises of God. To not stay where we are, but to press on to new things, to better things. And even as we look at the, the way God pronounces his curses, again, I've already brought this up in a couple of areas, but where God says, I will curse the children to the three and four generations, but he says, I will bless the children to a thousand generations. The blessing has always been meant to be bigger than the curse. Always. And this is something that's really important. Do not look at the Old Testament as this harsh, unloving, legalistic uh, curses and things. No. In the Old Testament, the blessings are already pronounced as greater than the curse. The love of God is already present. It's present in some ways so profoundly in the Old Testament. And then the curses are present in the New Testament too. It's one continual plan of God. Nothing changed except that now Jesus has come to, in, to initiate this inbreaking of the kingdom of God to, to bring about the fulfillment of these promises that have been all throughout the scripture. So we step into it. It's not automatic. You have a part to play. You cannot wait and sit idly by for God to heal you. You can't heal yourself, but you can't just sit there and do nothing either. You know, one of the things that has boggled uh, the minds of, of Christian leaders for a long time, and I'm not saying that, oh, I've got it figured out because I'm so smart or anything like that, but how do we grow? You know, the Bible says things like, you only grow because God helps you grow or God makes you grow. That you can't make yourself grow. You can't make anyone else grow. Only God can make you grow. And then we have things like, uh, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who has worked within you to will and to act according to his purposes. But at the same time, the Bible also tells us, stop sinning. <laughs> Trust the Lord. You know, the Bible also tells us that, that Jesus gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the raising up of people, for the equipping of the saints so that we would be, so that we would attain the wholeness of the fullness of Christ. And so what we see in the scripture is there are three necessary parts to anyone's growth. There's the requirement that God be at work. There's the requirement that the individual be at work. And there's the requirement that the community be at work. I have no doubt that God is going to do his part. Okay? We as a community, we are doing our best to do our part. We're doing our best. We're not perfect, but we're, we're growing in that. And so the question before you today is, will you do your part? And part of it is, I think, oftentimes, the real work of ministry for the church is to create a space where we can step in that God is working. That's the community's part. And the community does that in a lot of different ways, by being gracious, by, being, uh, by receiving one another, by forgiving one another, 
All these things we're doing is creating space for God to work. But the individual needs to step into that place. And those places can look scary from the outside, but they're beautiful when you're in them because that's where God works. And so church, I'm inviting you today to step into those scary places that God and your church community are cooperating to make it safe and beautiful and good and restorative for you. But you've got to go in. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious toward you. That little blessing in Hebrew is three words. The Lord bless you and keep you. Five words, the Lord to make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Seven words, the Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious toward you. It's this kind of a trickling escalation of the goodness of God in your life and mine. It's this beautiful picture. So what we're going to do now is we're going to sing this song together. If you're here in this room, we did it last week, but I'm going to invite you at some point just to turn to the center of the room and sing it over each other because this is a blessing that God told Aaron, I want you to pronounce this blessing over the people of God. He told the priest of Israel, I want you to say this over the people. And who are we? We are the kingdom of priests, right? We are, we are the modern day priests of God. And so we're going to sing this over each other. As we sing this, whether you're at home or whether you're here, sing it specially over those areas of your life that feel the most broken, where your sin is abounding the most, where you're struggling the most, or where you have a sense that, that those areas, that, that was what's passed on to you that you're still feeling today, whether it be something that um, was done to you that you haven't passed on necessarily, but you're still hurting about it. Or those things that you're thinking, man, I, I, let's be courageous even as we sing it. And, and name it for yourself. Name it for yourself. Yes, I, I, I have done this. Yes, I am doing this. Yes, I, wanna, I, I want God's face to shine upon me in this area of life, that I might shine it also on those around me, right? Um, and, and also as we do it, keep in mind your brothers and sisters so it's, 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 a, it, it's a layered singing. Sing it to yourself and to those parts of you and sing it to your brothers and sisters too. So.